Marchessault slides it around the rim. He's got Eichel, top of the left circle, closing in. He shoots, he scores! Jack Eichel, power play goal! Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Locke looks up, taps it back, Zadonov in the middle, he shoots, he scores! Jubilation! Vegas in overtime! Chevrolet, Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios, and live at LVSportsNetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Hour number two rolling along here on a Thursday, VGK Insider Show, Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman here with you. Uh, we bring in good friend of the show, Jesse Granger with The Athletic. There's a myriad of topics I want to get to with Jesse, but first and foremost, happy belated birthday to you buddy it was yesterday hopefully you had a great day what'd you what'd you end up doing thank you ryan yeah i uh i got to play some a round of golf with my dad had a great time got to play on a really really nice course so it was a, it was a good day how uh how'd you do I, I keep in mind i know next to nothing about golf and and it's that way for a very very good reason I I hate things that I'm not good at, so I don't want to I don't want to know about golf. I don't want to know how to play golf. I don't want to know any of the ins and outs about golf. But did you do well? Yeah, I mean it was it was a hard course and it was a windy day. So uh, for my normal standards, <laughs> I would say below my normal standards. But I didn't really mind because the course was so nice. I had a great time. So let me ask you a question when it comes to golf because I, I know you've been getting into it more and more recently. Um, what is it about golf that you like so much? Um, okay, well, I think it's just, I've just been, I've always just wanted to play sports my whole life, and I just like sports, and I mm-hmm. feel like, so I still play hockey three, four nights a week. Uh, I'll be playing tonight, actually. And in hockey, I'm an old man now. I just turned 32. Um, I write stories about how <laughs> when players are turning 32, they're old men now. So in hockey, I feel like an old man, whereas in golf, I can go out on the range and I'm the youngest guy out there by like 20 years. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like golf's a game you can get, you can play and be good at until you're really old. So I guess that's part of it. And then just the challenge of uh, you're always trying to kind of beat your last score. So it's, it's constant competition against yourself. I don't know. There are a lot of good things about golf. The nature, being around the course, it's kind of getting out of the city for, for a couple hours while you do it. Uh, lots to like about golf. So... I, I, I can get on board with nature, but I, I'm telling you, when when like there's a law of diminishing returns as to how good you can get, and then the same mistakes keep piling into your game, and you just <laughs> never seem like you're getting any better, I, I can't do that. Like, I, I, I need to feel like I'm progressing in some way, and I feel like golf is, is this war of attrition that if you're, if you're able to do it for 20 years, then maybe just maybe you get incrementally better. I, I can't. My brain's just not wired that way. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a frustrating game. Anyone that plays it will tell you it's frustrating, but I, I can't get enough of it. Enough watching it, enough playing it, I, I cannot get enough golf. Have you ever broken a club? No, I have not. But I, I have thrown clubs, though. But I've, I've come a long way in my – I've only been playing golf for about two years. I started kind of when the yeah. pandemic started, and there was nothing to do but golf. I've come a long way in controlling my temper. I, I do not get nearly as upset. When I first started, I would throw a club here uh, every once in a while. When was the last time you threw a club? Oh, it's, it's been over a year for sure. 
Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So all of all of the club throwing and anger got out of your system in year number one. That's that's well done. Um, right. Right. Just real quick, a, a, a true story. True story. Um, I, I know you went golfing with uh, with Tommy Apolito, the the GM of of Hyde Lounge, not too long ago. Um, and you know, Tommy actually hit me up after that, and he he just said. Jesse's a natural athlete like this the, the fact that he's only been playing golf for about two years and <laughs> the stuff that he was able to do on course like that's pretty pretty ridiculous so uh, at least you know you've got that feather in your cap that like you have the ability to pick up whatever you want to and be pretty good at it I will take that <laughs> I will take that compliment all day long and, <laughs> and now everyone listening thinks I'm way better at golf yeah, I know. I'm setting you up pretty bad. So, like, if you're ever at like a celebrity tournament and you're not on on you know your your usual form, uh, it's going to get really frustrating. And hopefully, you'll throw a club or two. All right. right. So we've talked too <laughs> that, much that's what too much that about golf right now. I I want to get I want to get a little bit into hockey, um, which is the benefit, like the beauty of doing these these off season shows is that. When there's not a lot of news going on, you can kind of get into the weeds on a, on a couple of different things. And I, I know that the NHL awards were, were over a week removed from it, but I, I wanted to get your take on a couple of things that as, as somebody that works in the, in, in the media in, in the National Hockey League bothered me about some of the ballots. Now, I, real quick, did, did you have a ballot this year? Yes, I did. Okay. Can you... Give me an idea of your process when it comes to filling out your ballot, like what your um, research phase looks like before you submit your uh, your ballot for the NHL awards. Yeah, it, it, well, so part of it is, um, one, of, one of the things is it's not something that I just ignore all year long, and then when the, sure. when the awards yeah. come up and they send me my ballot, I, I'm like, okay, let's figure out who the Norris is. Um, it's something I honestly... <laughs> keep track of all year long. And part of it is just because I like doing that. So I've kind of, at any moment of the year, I can give you a three or four person list for each award of guys that I'm thinking about. And, and another part of it is at the athletic, we'll do um, polls where they ask every writer, who's your heart trophy, like at the midway point, the three quarter point. So, so there are points throughout the season where I'm having to come up with these lists and they kind of, obviously they evolve as the season goes on because guys have really good starts and maybe don't finish as strong or whatever. But um, it's something that I'm kind of keeping in track of. So when I when I when it comes to the end of the year and I get my ballot, I've already got an idea of three or four guys for each award. And then I just dig into the stats. Um, I'm I'm not as big on goals and assists. I'm much more um, trend towards uh, like the stuff Dom does at the Athletic, the, the goals, uh, the GSVA game score value added, which is a, a really good number that shows you more than just offense. It shows defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, impact on the game. It shows uh, who, which team is controlling the puck when that player's on the ice. And I think especially for defensemen, when I'm looking at Norris, um, I think that's a huge stat. So yeah, it's, it's usually a couple day process to, to fill out the ballot. But like I said, it's not something that I, that I ignore until the end of the year when it's time to do. So the, the reason that I bring this up is, you know, it, one of the best things I think about the, the PHWA is that they will release every single ballot for every single award and you can go through and you can see who left who off and all that stuff and and the reason that i bring this up is because there was there was one ballot in particular and i'm not going to give the writer i'm not going to do it frankly i forgot who it was um but i i I don't understand how this is a ballot that that it, it makes any sense or that is is possible to have okay the ballot was 
for the Hart Trophy, no Austin Matthews, no Connor McDavid. And like I I personally was was in on Austin Matthews. I thought he had the the best MVP quality season. He would have gotten my first place vote. But to not have either Matthews or McDavid on the Hart Trophy ballot was just weird to me. I, I don't know how you get there. Roman Yossi was on the Hart Trophy ballot. Kale McCarr was not on the Hart Trophy ballot. But then their Norris Trophy voting was Kale McCarr won, Roman Yossi two. I I don't understand how if if you're if you're paying attention to everything all year long, if you are going through and and, and really taking the time to go through a process at the end of the season, how do you how do you reconcile a ballot like that? Yeah, I mean, I I have I'd have to look at the whole ballot to give you a better answer. The only thing I can think of, as you were going through all those all those votes, the only thing I could think of that maybe would explain that is is that this person is taking the most valuable player part um, mm-hmm. more literally than most. I think a heart trophy, even though it is the most valuable player, I think a lot of times it's who is the best player is how most people vote. Who is the best player this season? Um, the fact that they left off guys on with with other talented teammates, like obviously Matthews has a lot of talent around him in Toronto. Connor McDavid has Leon Dreisaitl. Um, Kale McCarr has Nathan McKinnon and Rantanen and, and obviously an entire Stanley Cup champion's worth of teammates in Colorado. And then you say Roman Yossi's on there, so it's like, okay, well, Yossi didn't have much help in Nashville. So maybe that person was saying, the team that would suck the most if I took this player off, um, in that case, Roman Yossi <laughs> is probably a better candidate than those other guys. Um, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. Because the term most valuable is so subjective, it's mm-hmm. very... I mean, you can vote in different ways. I totally disagree with someone who doesn't think Austin Matthews and McDavid belong on a heart ballot, but <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that they were thinking you're not allowed to have talented teammates if you're the most valuable player. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what, who, did, who got your heart trophy vote? I voted Austin Matthews number one, and then I had McDavid mm-hmm. two, Shesterkin three, Kale McCarr four, and Jonathan Huberto five. Um, I Okay, I know you're so, you're going to so go on me again about Huberdeau. I I think Huberdeau. No. I think his analytics are are incredibly impressive. But I mean, it's the fifth spot on my ballot, so it's not like it held a lot of weight. Listen, it's not voting Alex Nedeljkovic for the Calder Trophy, <laughs> so like that's totally fine. Um, but I will say this: you are you you disappoint me in that you didn't put Shesterkin second because like if there was ever going to be a season and and like. Of course this happens, like, you submit prior to the playoffs, but, like, when you saw what Shesterkin did for the New York Rangers and how far he carried that team that arguably is not great around him, like, I don't think anybody would have batted an eye, you as a goalie, wink, wink, if you would have gone Shesterkin too over Connor McDavid. Yeah, and I, I don't... It's it's tough. The, the goalies with the Hart Trophy is tough because... Again, going back to the most valuable part of it, um, if you were to mm-hmm. say, okay, who hurts their team the most if you take them off? I think Shesterkin, you take him off the Rangers and they're screwed. But the problem is, you could say that about <laughs> 10 goalies in the league. Um, and if you take them off that team, that team is, is in big, big trouble. And I think mm-hmm. because goalies, because there's only one on the ice, and because they're so hard to find an a elite goalie in this league, harder than it is to find a forward. There are more elite forwards than there are elite goalies. I think if you went that route and said, okay, which, which player hurts their team the most if you take them off, I think a heart ballot for me would be five goalies every year. And that's just mm-hmm. not 
how it should be. That's not to me. That's not what the award <laughs> means. So I didn't think Shesterkin's year was an all-time great. I think if a goalie has an all-time great year, like the year Terry Price had a few years ago, I think that they yeah. absolutely deserve to be the Hart winner. Um, but I think the the level of like historic greatness that a player needs to get on a Hart ballot for me, or to be number one on the Hart ballot, is is higher for a goalie than it is for a forward. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, when it came to Shesterkin, though, like, and and I'm just having fun now. Like, right. where where did it need to be better? Like, was it a games played thing? Was it uh, slowing down maybe a little bit, uh, fatigue setting in at the end of the season? Like, where did Shesterkin have to improve in order to take it from, wow, this is a phenomenal year from a goalie that's, you know, three years into his career in the NHL to, okay, all-time great, it's a no-brainer, he's a Hart Trophy winner? Um, I think, I think you, you, you made a good point about him slowing down at the end of the season, I think at the midway point, I was a lot more likely to vote Shesterkin as my Hart Trophy mm. winner. Um, yeah. And then as, as the end of the season kind of winded down, he wasn't as good, and the Rangers kind of faded a little bit. And obviously in the playoffs, they, they upset the Penguins, and they, they had a good playoff run, but we, we put these votes in at the end of the regular season, and the Rangers were really not trending well at that time. And Austin Matthews hit that 60-goal mark, and that was, sure. to me... I was trying to decide between him and him and McDavid, and I think they were both so close. And to me, it's like, man, 60 goals, it's been a while. It's such a <laughs> huge number, and it's the hardest thing to do in hockey, score goals. And, and he did it 60 times, so for me, that was just what gave Matthews the edge. Last bit here on the, the NHL awards, and then we're going to kind of branch out a little bit more. Um, is it unfair to hold Connor McDavid and, and subsequently now Austin Matthews to these ridiculously high standards? Because by all accounts, right, Connor McDavid had a career year. He set career highs in goals and points and all that. But it was not as impressive a year, uh, stat for stat, point per game, as his 56-game campaign, scoring 100 points in 56 games. Like, that is the benchmark for Connor McDavid. Is it unfair that, that those players that are at the top of their game are held to different, unrealistic for everybody else standards? Um, it could be. I mean, it definitely could be. I think the word, the term voter fatigue um, is, is real. <laughs> I think in, in every sport, I think when a player dominates, like the way Connor McDavid has, I think Matthews had the benefit of he's been very good for a long time, but he hasn't been yeah. in that conversation up until this season when he started. When he, he really, um, for me, he raised his defensive game, and he, he obviously uh, the goals went even higher than they were. I think there's such thing as people getting tired of voting for the same guy every year, and if Connor McDavid is the most valuable player 10 years in a row, he's probably not going to win 10 Hart trophies just for the, re the simple fact that people don't like voting for the same guy over and over and over. So I do think that I think the expectations are very high for those guys. I agree. Um, I'm, I mean, Leon Dreisaitl was not on my ballot, and he had an incredible season. Um, I can only get five on there, and it's, it's tough. So I do think that the expectations are ridiculously high for those guys, and I think that when someone is as dominant as McDavid has been, and he's, he's I think, without question, been the best player in the league for several years now, um, I think people do kind of get tired of voting for the same guy over and over. Jesse Granger with The Athletic joining us here as we go through a bunch of different topics because, hey, it's the offseason, and that's the fun thing to do. Uh, Stanley Cup Final. Um, it only went six games. There were a couple of blowouts, but by and large, really good hockey, 
fairly close series. Uh, what were your impressions of the Colorado Avalanche dispatching and dashing the hopes and dreams of a dynasty for the Tampa Bay Lightning? Yeah, it was it was a really fun final, and I think the last two finals were were about as bad as I've seen in my <laughs> lifetime. Um, so I think the fact that we hadn't had a really epic Stanley Cup final in a long time uh, made it, it, the bar was lower for it to clear, because you're right, there were some blowouts, and it did only go six games. But um, I think, I don't know, the, the word I used um, to describe it the day after was um, satisfying, because I feel like mm-hmm. we got the two best teams in the league, um, and they played, and the best team in the league won. And I think, like I mentioned the last two years, it, it kind of felt like a, a predetermined outcome. Tampa Bay was going to slaughter Dallas and Montreal, and they did. And there was never really any drama in either of those series, whereas this one, even when Colorado was up 3-2, as the Lightning take that uh, fifth game and, and suddenly it's mm-hmm. 3-2, and now the Lightning scored first in game six, there was definitely some feeling that this series can go seven games, and if it does that, you never know what's going to happen. So I think the outcome was, despite it only going six games, the outcome was still in question up until the very end. And um, and then and then there's the storylines that made it fun. Like you said, it was Tampa Bay going for the three-peat, something that hasn't happened in a really, really long time. And um, it was the Avalanche, a team that this core has been together for quite some time, and they hadn't gotten past the second round, and they finally put it together, and it was fun to watch Kale McCarr become an elite player in this league. I mean, he was good coming into this season. Um, to me, he's the second best player in the league behind McDavid now. And mm-hmm. um, so I think there were plenty of storylines. We had two really talented teams, and it felt satisfying. It felt like we had the two best teams in hockey showdown in the final, and it had been a while since we had that. So let me ask you this question, because I, I think it's an interesting one. If you were, If you had to pick one of the two as more likely to get back to the Stanley Cup final, which team is it and why? Ooh, I'll go Colorado, and I think it's because of the cap situation. Tampa, they, they've they been mortgaging the future for the last couple seasons, and they've been just barely hanging on, and the depth took a major hit. I mean, this team this year, this Tampa Bay team, was not as deep as last year's. They lost Tyler Johnson and that whole third line, and they were able to plug and fill, and, and they were able to get almost as good of a team together, but it wasn't quite as good, and I think they're going to run into more cap problems this year. Braden Point's massive contract um, goes into effect next season. That's obviously a huge change. He wasn't making hardly anything against the Caps. So I think Tampa Bay, because they've, they've won the Cups, the guys have gotten paid what they deserve. It's going to be a lot harder for them to bring back that same team, whereas Colorado, they just did it. And they, they have a ton of cap space. I mean, when you look at the teams in the league, if you look at cap space and rank teams by that, the Avs are in the middle of the league, which is incredible mm-hmm. considering how much talent they have on their team. So um, based on the, the cap situation and, to me, the fact that the, the, the Avs still have players that haven't gotten paid yet, um, I think Colorado's more likely to go back. Do you expect that Nathan McKinnon's next contract will be team-friendly? And the reason that I ask you that is because we all know how much Nathan McKinnon is a fan of Sidney Crosby. And when you factor in that Sidney Crosby has been making just under million. Seriously, it's 8.7 for like 12 straight years. And and now that Evgeny Malkin's contract is off the books is not, is, is finally the highest paid penguin. Like, do you get the sense that Nathan McKinnon with his drive and will and want to win and want to win a lot uh, that he might go team friendly on his next contract? 
Oh, man, that's a good question. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, he's got one year left. He's, he's making 6.3, and, and obviously Ranton is signed thing. for the next three years at 9.2, and they've got Landeskog locked up for a very long time, Makar a very long time at nine. I mean, I think them winning this Stanley Cup makes it less likely. I think especially if they were to win another one, I think he's more <laughs> likely to say, you know what, I won with the team with getting paid $6 million. Uh, it's time for me to get paid. I, I honestly... Do not know. What do, what do you think? What do you think he's going to do? So, okay, this is actually going to tie in with another question. And I'm going to ask you the question, then I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen. And this isn't a new theory, but it's a funny one. Um, you've won championships in, in beer league hockey. Have you ever <laughs> dropped the trophy? <laughs> no, I have not. Um, but that was hilarious watching it happen on TV. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And Nathan McKinnon's reaction to it was even better. Um, okay, here's what I think is going to happen. I do think that Nathan McKinnon's going to go team friendly. And like when I say team friendly, I'm talking like nine, two, five, like somewhere in and around Kale McCarr, Miko Rantanen, because you can you can win with multiple guys making nine million. It's when you start to get into. 10 million, a couple of guys at 10 million, that's when it gets really, really wonky. Um, but I think that, that Nathan McKinnon is going to say, listen, Joe, I, I'm going to go team friendly. However, I know Obey Kubel needs a new contract. What were you going to pay him? And Joe's like, ah, like $800,000, whatever, a million dollars, whatever. He's like, okay, Nathan McKinnon's going to take a team friendly deal plus whatever the contract was going to be for Obey Kubel because he dropped the trophy. Because he dropped the cup. Like, Nathan McKinnon's going to make sure that that doesn't happen again. That the cup is pristine every single time he gets to look at it. But it's still going to be team-friendly. He's just going to squeeze out Nick Obey-Kubel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, it, his reaction was the best part of that. Um, he was <laughs> horrified. Everyone else kind of just like, all right, he, he, he still caught it. Like, let's just go along. And McKinnon was in horror. Um, it was, yeah, I, mean, I, yeah I, I think I can get on board with that. I think I agree with you that he may take a little less. I don't think he's going to take a crazy friendly one like 6.3 that he's making now. That will definitely no. not happen. But I, I, I could see him taking somewhere between 9 and 10 rather than, to be honest with you, next season, the way that the, the cap has been going up, I mean, we, we, we expect the, the, the cap to keep going up. It's, we had these couple of years of a frozen cap. It looks like that's over. The TV deal was great. We're hearing good financial things about the NHL. I think McKinnon could get as much as, like, $13 million, um, a year yeah. if, he, if he really wanted to max out. So, so yeah, I, I, kinda, I think I'm on board with you that, that maybe he will take a few million less um, and stay around that 9 to $10 million mark. Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's there. It's on the table. I, we'll, we'll see kind of how things play out. But to me, um, I don't know who was more upset about the Stanley Cup, if it was Nathan McKinnon or Phil Pritchard on the ice. Because, like, the commentary from the keeper of the cup, he was not happy about the fact that it happened <laughs> on the ice. Um, let's bring it back to the Pacific Division for just a moment and, and talk about uh, what I imagine is going to be a new rival for uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Maybe not new. Uh, the Kings were there year one. There was a playoff series. It was fun. It was entertaining. It was exciting. But the Kings making another splash. And it's it's as if Rob Blake just woke up and it's like, ah, I'm going to be good. We're going to be good again. Uh, obviously getting Phil Deneau 
a step in the right direction. And now the trade for Kevin Fiala, that makes the Kings a little bit more dynamic up front. I, I think it gives them a clearer idea of what their top six is going to be, how deep they're going to be down the roster if you get contributions from some of the younger players. Um, wh- how do you view the Kevin Fiala trade for Los Angeles, and what does it mean for the Pacific Division? Yeah, I think it was I, – I, I'll be honest, the length of that deal would worry me if I were a Kings fan. Yeah. But – for yeah. the immediate future, for the next few years, I think it's excellent. Um, I think, I think where the Kings were. I guess my opinion of the Kings before this trade was their ceiling is a like bottom tier playoff team, basically what they were this season, a team that can just get into the playoffs and probably not do much. I think with Fiala, now their their floor is going to be contending for the playoffs. I think this team is has has shown that they are not going to be a one-year wonder and go back to kind of the seller of this division that they were for, for the last couple of years. So I think they're going to be in the playoff picture. I think they're probably going to be around the third place in the division, maybe the wild card. And then to me, where they have that room for growth is you've got Quentin Byfield, you've got Blake Lazat, you've got Arthur Kaliev. I mean, they have young players that are ready to take major steps. And if those players don't take major steps, and they are kind of what they were this year, which is decent NHL players, but not impact guys, not game changers. If they stay where they are, I think the Kings kind of are what they are. They're a team that can make the playoffs and maybe give someone a run in the first round, but that's about it. And if you're a Kings fan, you're excited. If, if Quentin Byfield and Lazat and Kaliev and those guys all take the steps that they're hoping, um, they've got some guys on the back end too, Tobias Bjornfoot is only 21. I think if those guys take the steps, then suddenly the Kings are a contender in the Pacific. And I think they're right up there with Calgary and Edmonton and, and the Golden, where the Golden Knights hope to be. So they, they could be a serious player if, if their young players um, take the steps that they hope. All right, Jesse. Uh... Thanks so much for for taking some time and going in a lot of different directions. That was really fun, uh, more or less on your process when it comes to the NHL awards, but also uh, your thoughts on the Stanley Cup final and that big trade by the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, we are on for a, a couple more weeks, so hopefully there's a little bit more news to come from the Vegas Golden Knights as it pertains to the draft and obviously the opening of free agency. So we'll hope to get you on sometime in the next two weeks uh, before we say goodbye for the offseason and look toward next season. But real quick, as always, where can people find your stuff? Where can they connect with you on social media? Yeah, uh, Jesse Granger underscore on Twitter and theathletic.com. Yeah, it's going to be a fun couple weeks. Uh, I'm going to be on, in Montreal for the draft. That should be fun. Uh, not only just the draft picks, but the fact that all the GMs are going to be talking. We know the Golden Knights may be looking to make a trade, so I'll be providing some content from up there. And then maybe the thing I'm most excited about is rookie development camp. We're coming back mm-hmm. July 11th, mm-hmm. the week after the draft. We're going to have these rookies here in Vegas on the ice. Some of the guys that have been that they drafted two years ago, we still haven't. They've never been in Vegas. We've never seen them in person. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be cool to see a couple draft classes worth of new kids come in and on the ice. And um, I'll have a bunch of content from City National Arena up on the Athletic there, so everybody can check that out. All right, fantastic stuff. Hey, thanks so much for jumping on here, Jesse. Happy belated birthday, and we'll do this again real soon. Thanks again, buddy. Thanks for having me. That is Jesse Granger with The Athletic. Does a great job covering the Vegas Golden Knights. We're back with one-timers next on the VGK Insider Show. Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it. He shoots. He scores. It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show. One-timers brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. Uh, look 
news and notes around the NHL, as we mentioned in hour number one, the Detroit Red Wings have made their choice for their next head coach, Derek Lalonde, former assistant coach with the Tampa Bay Lightning over the last few seasons, won two Stanley Cups, John Cooper's right-hand man. And as you'll remember or recall, Steve Eiserman probably has a pretty good idea of what he's getting in Derek Lalonde, considering the fact that Steve Eiserman was the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning, left the Lightning organization to take that position with Detroit. And we all know how well run and how creative and how good the Tampa Bay Lightning have been over the last couple of years. So I don't know that I'm questioning anything Steve Eiserman does. Of course, you want Detroit to be better, and I think that they will be, but it's really hard to argue with the rate of success that has been carried over in Tampa from Steve Eiserman's regime. And, you know, we've talked about does Julian Breezebois get enough credit? I don't believe that he does, but there's no discounting Steve Eiserman's footprint on that Tampa Bay Lightning team, that organization. So it only makes sense that he would go with, with someone that he knows for the next phase with the Detroit Red Wings. So I, I like the hire. I, I'm not going to give you any particulars on what I think Derek Lalonde's going to be able to do with the Detroit Red Wings. I, I still think that they're a couple of years away before they really get into, okay, the Red Wings are going to be a problem, but it makes sense that that's the direction that they're going. Uh, one more thing, and we're probably going to get to this a little bit more in depth tomorrow, but it appears Jim Montgomery has been hired by the Boston Bruins as their next coach. At least that's what we're starting to see trickle in in, in terms of news. I know, Chapman, you were really, really adamant that in this round of hires, in this round with the coaching carousel being what it is, that Jim Montgomery was going to get a second chance, that he was going to be behind the bench, and it looks like he will be behind the bench of the Boston Bruins. Yeah, good good for Jim. You know, if you look at his track record, the guy's won everywhere he, he's gone. Uh, he won at the college level. He was doing fairly well in Dallas, and... You know, for those who don't know the story, you know, you could look it up about why he left the, the Dallas Stars and he got help for a problem he was having. Uh, he was an assistant with the St. Louis Blues. And uh, I, I think his his style of play, the up-tempo, uh, it, it's it's fun. I think I think it's good for a team like Boston. You know, they have they have up-tempo pl- kind, of, kind of players on their team. So uh, I'm a fan of Jim Montgomery. I'm rooting for him. Uh, anyone who's gone through what he's gone through, you know, it's obviously a very, very difficult thing, and, and I am cheering for him. I can't believe I would cheer for someone in Boston, but I like Jim Montgomery, and I'll, I'll definitely be, be pulling for him. I want to see him do well. So assuming that that is finalized and Jim Montgomery is going to the Boston Bruins, that leaves the Winnipeg Jets as the only team in the National Hockey League still without a coach. Where do you think they go? What direction? Uh, I, I honestly don't know. Um, it's it's kind of scary to think that they're they're the last team out there. It seems like when it comes to these types of things, Winnipeg is always kind of at the bottom. Uh, you know, we, 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 we've seen superstar players not want to play there. Uh, we, we now see a... a I, I don't know if they put all their eggs in the Barry Trotz basket. We'll never know that. But... It certainly seems like something happened because they've had a long, long time to identify 
coaches and who they wanted to see coach this team because, I mean, let's remember, Paul Maurice walked away midseason. So they've had a lot of time to analyze who and what they wanted to coach. The fact that they still don't have one. I'd be a little nervous if I was a Jets fan because basically you're you're getting the last guy available. Like every team has hired <laughs> a coach. And you're you're kind of now searching around like, oh, okay, this guy, no, he's gone. This guy, yeah, he took that job. This guy, yeah, he says he doesn't want to coach. I don't know where you go. I, I imagine you're, you're, you're going to end up with a retread. Um, I, I don't mm-hmm. see them going with a guy who, who has no experience. Um, I, I, I don't know, Ryan. I really don't know where they go. I mean, I, I think that the, the biggest name left out there is Rick Tockett, right? And assuming Rick Tockett wants to coach and, and that's kind of the direction that you're going, I, I think that it still has the potential to be a good hire, right? Like it still has the potential to be a, a good move forward for the Winnipeg Jets. But I, I think that there's no other way to look at it. When you're the last, right? Like when there have been nine teams, more or less, that have that you've been in and around and you're trying to make this decision, you're trying to figure out who's going to be that next guy. When you're last, it always is going to appear that you were everyone's third, fourth, fifth choice. And and it doesn't really matter. Like If you end up with Rick Tockett, and if that is the perfect candidate for you, and you just took your time to get there, the optics of it don't look great for the Winnipeg Jets. So I, I'm with you. Uh, I would suspect, given where we're at right now, I'd be shocked if it wasn't Rick Tockett. Just for the 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 credibility, the big name factor, I, I think Winnipeg needs that. So we'll keep an eye on that my, situation as it as it continues to progress. My David gut, Quinn is my another gut, name that's my, out there too. See, no, I, I think he's more likely than Tockett. My gut tells me Rick Tockett doesn't want to coach right now. If I were Rick Tockett, I wouldn't want to co- coach either. Like, he's a star on TNT. Like, an absolute, no doubt, 100% star on TNT. And those broadcasts were phenomenal this year. If I'm Rick Tockett... That's where I'd want to be, but there's something to be said about the competitive nature of being a coach, right? Like, when you were a player, and then when you were a coach, and then you won Stanley Cups as as an assistant, like, I think that there's always going to be that internal drive to want to get back there, to to want to compete, to want to see where you match up against everybody else, but... Maybe it's worth waiting it out for the perfect scenario. And if if Tockett doesn't believe that Winnipeg's the perfect scenario, I can absolutely see him holding Pat, waiting, and moving on from there. I do want to get to a couple of stories real quick that center around and revolve around goaltending. Um, I'm not one to like contract extensions for goaltenders that are on the wrong side of 35 let alone 40 but the buffalo sabers have re-signed craig anderson to a one-year 1.5 million dollar contract extension for next year they've got at least one goaltender on the contract so that's positive good job buffalo Um, but i like it because i don't really care what he does on the ice it's what he does off the ice He's, he's, a, he's a father figure, he's a mentor, he is a guy that provides leadership for a young team that's been through a lot of ups and downs and wants to learn how to win. 
Craig Anderson makes a lot of sense to me for one more year in Buffalo. Yeah, I like the move. Um, you know, as for all the reasons you mentioned, um, you know, obviously a guy who's dealt with some some unimaginable stuff off the ice. Um, mm-hmm. So, so he's again, again, like Jim Montgomery, he's a guy you root for. I think at this at this age, any guy who's over forty, I'm kind of rooting for because at, they they continue to prove the doubter is wrong that you can't be an athlete. You know, it's funny Jesse just talked about thirty two year old being old, and <laughs> you know, he's writing about thirty two year old guys being too old. Some of these guys in the league are still on the on the, on the wrong side of forty. And, and so, Craig Anderson, a guy you root for for a lot of reasons. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, it's Buffalo. They're harmless. You want to see him and them do well. Speaking of old goaltenders, we're going to segue to Mike Smith and whether or not Mike Smith should be concerned about this report. And that is that the Edmonton Oilers will be among the teams interested in Billy Huso come free agency. Um, listen. In my estimation, Billy Huso is an improvement over Mike Smith. So therefore, if you are the Edmonton Oilers, you go out there, you throw money at him, you make it happen. What say you? Well, he's a guy who doesn't have a ton of experience in the NHL. So you're really wondering if last year was was a fluke or if that's the Billy Huso who you're going to get. What 25 and 7 and 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 6 overtime uh, losses. So I think, you know, it's it's a guy who you're going to be gambling on, um, but I think you're right. He is an upgrade on Mike Smith, um, you know, and maybe you have him split time. Maybe Huso plays 75, Smith plays 25% of the time. I, I don't know what 60-40, I don't know what the breakdown would be. What concerns me about Billy Huso is how awful he was in the playoffs. I mean, he was atrocious in the playoffs, and maybe it was nerves, yeah. first time, a lot of pressure. I think there's a lot of pressure on you in Edmonton too because you don't want to, like you keep, you say it all the time, wasting the prime mm-hmm. of Connor McDavid's career. I think if you're Edmonton, you have to get it right when you're bringing in a goalie because if you don't, it's just another wasted year. So let me ask you this question. I, I know that you can get Huso for free, meaning you don't have to waste an asset to do it. But if you. Would you throw assets to St. Louis to pry Jordan Binnington away? If you were in on Huso, but you really wanted Binnington, would you just would you rather take Huso for not for nothing, not just just the money that it takes to sign him, or would you make a trade for Jordan Binnington? I'm not the biggest Jordan Bennington fan, so <laughs> I, I don't know if, if, if you could sell me on that one. I guess ultimately it would depend what you're giving up, but I think mm-hmm. Bennington, he's hot and cold. When he's interested and when he's dialed in, he's amazing. Problem is, it mm-hmm. seems like he kind of zones out a little bit, and he's not always dialed in. Um, so I wonder if, the, if, if having Connor McDavid give him the death stare would have him dialed in a little bit more, uh, yeah. but... I, I, I think you're you're gambling either way if you're mm-hmm. Edmonton. And like I said, you, you have to get it right. No matter what you do, you have to get it right. Those are your one-timers brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. We're back to wrap it up. Catching up with Chapman. All right, Ryan. Well, as we finish up the show today, uh, obviously I was off yesterday for my wife's birthday. And uh, she wanted to have a very Vegas birthday <laughs> So, oh, wow. um, 
it's funny. She's been here since March of 2020, and she had never been down to Fremont Street. So she wanted to go check out Fremont Street as part of her birthday. And uh, needless to say, I don't think she's interested in going back. It was a quite a, <laughs> quite an eye-opening and interesting experience for her to head down to Fremont Street. And she, she, she was a bit taken aback by some of the uh, people that were uh, trying to collect money from tourists mm-hmm. down there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, she had a great day. We went for a, a nice dinner, and uh, she wanted to go up to the top of the Strat, but it was a little windy, so we skipped that, and mm-hmm. we went to Fremont Street instead. So, uh, good time, and uh, I guess at some point we'll make it to the top of the Strat. Well, send her my best. Happy belated birthday. We will chat with you all tomorrow.